Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. You can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua. What a passage of Scripture. Oh God, help me articulate what you've burned in my heart. Joshua chapter 22. Joshua 22. I want you to find verse 15. Now, if you were not a part of any of our services, man, the word of God has just been red hot here. And uh, I, we give God all the, all the credit for that. You don't want to miss tonight. It's going to be red hot again, Pastor, Pastor Eagle River. Pastor Gill is going to be with us. He's going to be preaching tonight at 6. Don't miss that. Joshua 22. If you missed last Sunday morning, you'll want to go ahead and get that. If you missed last Wednesday, here's the testimony that I heard. I heard people, people contacted us and told us that they felt something dark leave them and they've been changed from Wednesday. They couldn't quite put their finger on what it was. Some people, other people said, no, I know exactly what it was. People got delivered online in their own homes. People got set free. People got healed. People got touched. The kingdom of God went forward with violence. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. You say, are you serious right now? Yes. Let, let me just tell you that it is a normal thing for God to touch and change your life when you come to church. It's abnormal for the church to just be ho-hum and boring. A bored believer is a weak believer, but an, a fascinated believer, someone's on fire for God, expecting miracles, expecting breakthrough, expecting deliverance. That kind of believer will be strong in this hour. And if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out of his mouth. It's time to get on fire. All right, Joshua, Joshua 22. Now, I preached just recently now how God set you up. Israel didn't go into the promised land. Let me just give you a little context to Joshua 22. They didn't go into the promised land because when they went to go in, they saw giants. And in Numbers 13, a recount of that story, Verse uh, 34, they come back and they, they spread a bad report and they said this, Caleb and Joshua, they were pumped up. They were fired up. They were ready to go. They wanted to take their promised land. They wanted their inheritance. The other 10 spies spread a bad report and they said this, the land is exceedingly great, but there are giants in the land and we seem like grasshoppers in our eyes. Numbers 13, 34. And so we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. Their internal reality, their understanding as deceived as it was, caused them not to walk in the dimension of power and authority as the army of the living God, as a hand extended to bring judgment on the nations of Canaan's land, their sin having become full. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, and so the grasshoppers didn't go into the promised land and displeased the Lord, showed contempt for the Lord, except Caleb and Joshua. 
So they wandered around for 40 years in the desert. The text that we're about to read, the text that we're about to read is when the war is over. But in reference to the message that I speak that I spoke, I think it was last Wednesday, they start heading north and they run into Sihon, a Canaanite nation on the wilderness side of the Jordan. And God gives them victory. And for those that might not understand what it is to feel like a loser, I certainly understand what what it is to feel like a loser. I used to feel that way. Defeated. And they felt defeated, believe me. They're not going to the promised land. That's it. 40 years in the desert. You failed. So here they go. They move forward, but they're failed. God gives them Sihon, and they win the battle. And they, they're set up to start feeling good about themselves, and then the Lord tells them to take Og. Og was the king who was 13 feet tall. He was a giant. The very giants that terrified them before, now God tells them, take Og, a 13-foot-tall, 5-foot-wide giant. Goliath was 9 feet. Og was 13 feet tall. And they win that battle. And one of the things that the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh what they say to Moses, and you can go search this out. They say, Moses, Pastor Moses, please just give us this land, Sihon and Og, on this side of the Jordan, because it's beautiful. And we want our, our wives and our children and our livestock to stay there. And Moses rebukes him and says, you can't do that. You got to go fight with everybody else. They said, no, 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 no. We'll fight with everybody else. But when it's all done, let us come back and inhabit this land right here on this side of the Jordan. And Moses says, well, if you fight with everybody, it's a deal. You ready? Joshua 22. You needed to hear the backstory so you could fill it in and I could tie it into the message from last week. Joshua 22, verse 15. When they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? Was our sin at Peor not enough? Is this day is this day we are not fully, to this day we are not fully cleansed of it. Even after the plague that struck the entire community of the Lord. And yet today, you're turning away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, he'll be angry with all of us tomorrow. If you need the altar because you're, because the land you possess is defiled, then join us. I mean, that's a whole message in itself right there. Then join us in the Lord's land 
where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated and share our land with us, but do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. Didn't divine anger fall on the entire community of Israel when Achan, a member of the clan of Zerah, sinned by stealing the things set apart for the Lord? He was not the only one who died because of his sin. And the people of Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, answered the heads of the clans of Israel, the Lord, the mighty one, is God. The Lord, the mighty one is God. I want you to read verse 22, nice and out loud. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. They say it twice. He knows the truth. And may Israel know it too. We have not built an altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we have done so, do not spare our lives this day. If we've built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord or to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings, may the Lord himself punish us. Verse 24, the truth is we have built this altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and your people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord, so your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. So we've decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary. I got to say this. I'm going to pause and say what I have done and made the decision with the leading of the Holy Spirit, a multitude of counsel is not an open act of rebellion or defiance towards our governor. In the opening of the church on Wednesday, I would have done it today, but it was wise to wait. We start Wednesday. We will not stop. Why is that? Why would you do that? Because I want to make it clear, first of all, when the first mandate came down, my immediate response is, you can't tell the church to stop meeting. But I, I backed away from that. And, and saw it as wise and prudent to help the slow the curve, flatten the curve, to, to help as a, a citizen and a good neighbor. But as we moved on now, and there's their projections being completely off, thank God, and the curve seemingly has flattened, I've decided, along with the Lord speaking to me and governmental wisdom and counsel and the counsel of lawyers, given our constitutional right, 
I've decided to make a memorial. Decided to set the altar on fire and open the church to say this. That we are submitted to governing authorities and we honor them. Our governor loves God. I've heard it in the meetings that I've been with him and I commend him. And I, I think it's been great. Thank God. It's not like some other governors. You ought to give praise for Governor Dunleavy. He's done a good job. I mean, they've said it'd be all right for us to be in the parking lot. But truth be told, we could have fought and continued to have church just like we want to because we're Americans, because we have a First Amendment right. And so when it came down to this point, and I think he's probably going to open up in phase two, which might be next weekend. I don't know. I just know that the Lord spoke to us to open now. And I'll tell you why. It's a testimony that we are submitted to governing authorities, but not above God and not above the leading of the Lord. And we're going to we're going to be good Samaritans. We're going to be good citizens. We're going to we're going to pay our taxes and do all the different things that we're required to do. We will give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we'll give to God what is God's. And in Acts chapter four, the apostles, when they said you can no longer meet, you can no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus. They said, well, you judge if we should obey you rather than God. What we're doing is not a social gathering. Don't make any doubt about it. What we're doing is our religion. We're gathering. It's a spiritual gathering. And so I don't want you to misunderstand why we're opening. Let me blow it out and say this. We're opening because I'm never going to take the mark. I will never yield to them telling me what I can preach, what I can't preach. I will always stand. I'm against abortion. I'm against same-sex marriage. I can't help it. I'm a Christian. I'm going to preach the word. I'm submitted first and foremost. I am a Christian before I'm a United States citizen, and thank God for being a part of this great country. If you love the United States of America, give them praise. But for God's sake, don't let your praise for the United States of America be stronger than your praise for God. You might not realize it, but I receive coaching, especially from my wife. I allow my staff to speak into my life and help me because I have within me a fire that burns in my bones. And I want to lead you graciously. The truth is I'm more of an evangelist that got a pastoral overlay. And I'm thankful for that. And I am a pastor and I love it. But I also have a, a breaker, wild, berserker type zeal. That's, a, that's just how I'm made. It's just how I'm made. I, I can't tell you all the reasons that is. I just love God and he delivered me and I owe him everything. I have written on the inside of my suit, Jeremiah 29, like a fire shut up in my bones. And 
I'm saying that to say this, and then we'll get into this text because it's so good. I really want to be gracious. I pray that I'm Christ-like. But something happens in me when I've come up against what I sense and discern in my spirit to be a demon. Something turns in me to punch the lights out of that thing with the blood of Jesus. And I don't think that our governor at all is as men evil for the church. However, I know there's a spirit behind it all. They wants the church to bow the knee to government and bow the knee to secular humanism. And I will not bow the knee to anything but Jesus. And it stirs within me the most, the most holy of emotions. And for that, I will not apologize. I charge it not as an act of rebellion, but zeal for the house of the Lord. Does that make sense? Got two beeping horns. Praise the Lord. That's, I think I stopped. I, I don't think I finished reading the text. I got all fired up. All right. So our opening, always remember that. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's the memorial. They built an altar as a memorial. I'm building a memorial by opening on Wednesday to say this. We're submitted to God first. First, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to follow the other parts of the mandate, except the fact that we're gathering. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And you'll always remember. Man, I remember back in the day when I had that pandemic that they wouldn't let us meet. And all churches shut down. We shut down too. I thought Pastor Daniel was a sissy, but then all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, he just opened up right there in that last moment right there. And it's just, you just remember, we follow God first. Okay, good. Let's get back to the text. I think I need, I think I need some sugar or something. Jesus, help me out. Where are we at? It's a memorial. Look at verse 27. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have a right to worship the Lord in his sanctuary. And our burnt offering sacrifices peace offerings, then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. If we say this, our descendants can reply, look at the copy of this Lord's altar that our ancestors made. Is it, not, it is not for burnt offerings or sacrifice offerings. It is a reminder of our relationship both of us have with the Lord. Verse 29, far be it for us to rebel against the Lord or turn away from him or build our own altars, grain offerings, sacrifices. Only the altar of the Lord our God that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for that purpose. Go down to verse 34, finals verse. And the people of Reuben and Gad named the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us and them that the Lord is our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your principles of increase and the blessing of God that's upon us. We ask now as we look at this text 
that you would move with great power. I pray there would be no twisting in the words that I have already spoken, and that with great clarity, you would thunder your word from this scissor lift, that all of us would be transformed and changed because you send forth your word, and it does not return void. And I thank you for the hour and history in which we live, that history books will be written about the decisions that we make, the way in which we live. This great pause between the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So move in power. Release all that's in your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be uh, comfortably seated or you can stand up and do whatever you want. So glad to be in church with you in the parking lot. Be sure to register for your seats this coming week. If someone asked you, who are you? How would you respond to that? I did a DNA test. Anybody done those DNA tests? Somebody said, oh, once you do the DNA test and they know where you're at and they'll mark you, they'll be able to try. I don't know about all that. Uh, maybe it's true. I'm more marked by God. I'm not going to worry about it. But I got a DNA test and I am 99.6% uh, Northwestern European. I'm 56% Irish and British Isles. Got a little bit of Scandinavian. I've got uh, French and German, about 20-something percent there. And uh, I guess I'm 1% African-American, praise the Lord, Pastor Vince. Amen. <laughs> so somebody was to ask you, Somebody was to ask you, who are you? How would you say, well, I'm Irish, I'm an American, I'm, I'm Scottish, I'm, I'm native Alaskan. No, that's your culture. That's where you come from. And it certainly affects you, but that's not who you are. Who are you? Who are you? It's a fascinating question. A look at the issue of identity. If you would ask a man at a men's meeting, who are you? Many times they'll respond, well, I'm a, I'm a salesman. They'll, they'll talk about what they do for work. If you talk to a woman at a woman's meeting and you ask them, you know, oh, you know, wh wh who are you? Or, you know, they'll instantly relate to relationships. Now, we all have phones. We all have devices. And uh, many of you have photos on your phone. Back in the day, does anybody remember when you didn't have phones? If you talked to a, a mother in the church, she'd pull out her wallet, man, and all the pictures, you know, Oh, this is my grandchildren, and this is my son, and my daughter. He's, oh, he works out, and, and just go through the whole thing. But guys, they didn't carry too many pictures, picture to their wife, maybe, but not a whole. Women relate in relationships. Identity is tied to relationships very much, but still yet, we are not what we do, and we aren't our relationships either, at least not on this earth, but they are important. We're not our culture. The crux of the issue in this text is an issue that asks us, who are you? The tribe of Manasseh, half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Reuben, they had finished the war. So Og had been defeated the previous generation. They've crossed over into the promised land, and they finished the battle, mostly. 
But that's another message. And they've returned now to where their livestock and where their wives and their children are on the wilderness side of the Jordan. And they make this altar. They build an altar. You can see this in verse 10. And it's not just any altar. It's a replica of the altar in the wilderness that's before the tabernacle. So there's no, there's no temple now at this time. This is prior to the temple. And there was a sacred altar that was to be built. And so they build this altar, and immediately the ten tribes are like, what? A bunch of idolaters. There's only one altar. And you can read that from Moses, Deuteronomy, Book of Numbers. There's only one place that they're to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings and grain offerings. And so for them to build another altar... Exactly like the duplicate, exactly like the original prescribed one, the sacred one, it looked like, everybody say it looked like, it looked like they were going to have their own altar and burn the, and their own priests and do their own thing. And so as a result, they come to kill them. And the whole community of Israel, the 10, ten other tribes come. And they prepare for war, and they go up, and thank God, they talk to them. Isn't it, isn't it great when people communicate? So they, they say, hey, can you, I can't believe you guys are doing this. The issue with Baal of Peor, do you remember that? That's where they, the, 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 the the donkey spoke to the prophet and warned him, and they tried to curse Israel, but there was no curse that could stop them. And then this false prophet, Balaam, he basically told them how to wipe out Israel. Just get them to sin with the women, and God will wipe them out himself. A plague will come, and they do that. And Phineas ends the plague. In fact, on that text, it says that Phineas was so zealous for the Lord that he ended the plague. And he took a, a javelin, a spear, and he put it through the Israelite, and the Moabite woman, I think it's Moabite, I, I need to go look. Oh, the ites, I sometimes get them mixed up. And that zeal, that display of fervor for the Lord ended the plague. But even here it says, and aren't the effects of that plague among us today? Isn't that an intense thing? You know, you can be forgiven, but the consequences still might come around. Hello. That's a good thing to meditate on right there. And then it goes and says, our Achan. Are you going to be like Achan, who was sadly mistaken? You're going to be like Achan, who stole the wedge of gold and the, and the Jericonian garment? He says, why are you doing that? And then they say, we're not doing that. The key verse here is 24 and 25. They said, the reason we built an altar is that we wanted to make it clear that we're in, the co we're in covenant with the one true and living God. And we want to make it clear not only now, but we want to make it clear for the generations to come. Hallelujah. It's an altar of identity, which they call witness. They identify it as the covenant people of God. I'm going to tell you, I'm a proud American. I love our flag. I love our, our nation. If, you've, if you don't love our nation, it's because you've never traveled anywhere. You never went anywhere else. Could be the only reason you don't love America. Do we have issues? Oh, gosh, we've got issues. But America 
is supposed to be a burning, shining lamp. But I will tell you, as much as I love the United States of America, I'm a Christian before that. I'm a Christian before I'm a Northwestern European in descent and culture. I'm a Christian before I'm a United States citizen. We live in a time when it's so important to move forward and clearly declare who you are. There's been identity theft in the body of Christ. Most people don't know. And if you don't know who you are, then you'll settle for anything. Who you are is so very important. Because they didn't know who they were, they didn't go into the promised land the first time. We seem like grasshoppers, and so we were like grasshoppers. I don't know why, but every time I read that scripture in Numbers 13, 34, all I can hear is, snatch this pebble from my hand. Grasshopper. If you don't understand that, I just dated myself as 70s. All right. Everybody was, all right. If you're going to move forward into the plan that God has for you, if you're going to take your promised land, you've got to know who you are. So there's two things that we must do in order to get a hold of our real identity. Number one, you've got to deal with misjudgment. Has anybody here ever been misjudged by someone? Think about David. David comes to deliver pizza, cheese and bread. It's basically pizza to the battle. His, his father sends him Jesse. He shows up and he delivers the goods to the keeper of the goods. And he hears about this Goliath who shouts obscenities at God's people. And he berates them and he mocks them and he mocks God. And David says, what? What a uncircumcised, are we just going to sit here? And his brother, his older brother, Eliab says, oh, I know you, David, you insolent pride. Who'd you leave those few little sheep with? You just came down to watch the battle. I know you. The older brother rails on David. Now, was David there to just watch? Obviously not, because he when he was released by Saul, trying Saul's armor, but it didn't work, he took his sling in his hand and he went down and he took five smooth stones, one for Goliath and four other stones for his brothers. And he ran down and he sank that stone into the head of Goliath. But he was misjudged by his, his brother. Anybody else ever been misjudged? They misjudged Jesus. They say in Mark, I think it's six and seven, they saw Jesus. Oh, isn't this a carpenter's man? Isn't this a carpenter's son? That's a, and it, hey, didn't you babysit Jesus? You, you changed your shorts, right? That, is that, that can't be the Messiah. They had a misjudgment that the king of the kingdom came to their town, but they saw him as a carpenter boy. They didn't see him as the Messiah. They didn't see him as a deliverer. They didn't see him as the one who would raise the dead, heal the sick, and set the captives free. They didn't see him as the one who would cleanse the leper. The one who, when it was tax time, told Peter to go fishing and take out two coins, one for your tax bill and mine. They didn't see him as the promised Messiah of Isaiah 53. They were deluded. Their perspective, they didn't understand the real identity of who Jesus was.
And so they misjudged him. Has anybody else been misjudged? I have. I can tell you endless stories about it. I might get misjudged for opening the church on Wednesday. Eat your heart out. Write newspaper articles and do whatever you want. I'm not asking for a fight. But I'm ready for one. And there will be people like, oh, that kills King's people. Please understand, I'm opening as a memorial, and I'm opening in obedience to God's word. I'm opening in obedience as a United States citizen and First Amendment, and I'm going to do it right. We're still going to honor and make suggestions of wearing masks and all of that, and all our volunteers will. We'll do We'll follow protocol, except for the not opening part. I'm opening. How come? Because the Lord told me to, and I can't. If you're going to latch on to your real identity, you've got to deal with misjudgment in your life. You've got to deal with misjudgment in your own lives. First of all, if you're critical and you're being misjudged right now, you could be reaping what you've sowed. So if, you, if you're constantly feeling misjudged, could it be, oh, brothers and sisters, could it be that you are critical of so many people? And so now, listen, if somebody talks stink about, somebody comes up to you and they talk, they talk crap about you, I promise you, they talk and stink about you behind your back when you're not standing there or soon will. So it could be that you're reaping what you've sowed. You got to be careful about judging others. We do need to judge, but we need to do it with mercy. And if you don't have good judgment, then you'll make poor judgment. You want to marry Attila the Hunt. Broomhilda. If Broomhilda is here, no offense. So we, we do need to judge, but we don't need to be critical. We need to deal with misjudgment not only with ourselves, but also by others. In other words, misjudgments that others have made against you and ones that you've internalized. And I shared this story. It's very intense. About 20-something years ago, we had somebody come in the office and get counseling because they were bound by homosexuality and they were tormented. And in the process of counseling, wanting to be free, they remembered a story when they were 10 years old. Now I will veil this as best I can because I know we have children. But let me first of all take a small little sermonette to say, none of my children spent time over anybody's house overnight. And it wasn't personal. It was just, we were never going to allow for an opportunity. So well, they're a good family. Yeah, but the devil's a bad devil. So at 10 years old, he goes over his best friend's house. And in the middle of the night, his best friend's father abused him. That abuse marked this 10-year-old so profoundly that he, he, couldn't, he couldn't see his way clear from it. And so from the time he was 10 to the time he was 30 at the time of counseling, he had made a decision 
then because that happened to him, there must be something deeply wrong with him. And as a result, he continued in that lifestyle until he was able to forgive that man who was long dead and make a decision that that thing that happened to him is not him. That was an assignment from the enemy. And he had misjudged himself. That if my body responds that way, then I must be that way. No, no, no. I've known, we've known women over the years that went through things in their early life and they marked themselves that this is how I am then. That I'm just to be used. And they go from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship doing the same thing. Or it's too late, I've gone too far, what's happened to me, I just must be a throwaway now. I've gone through so much counseling with people. Shoot, I've been through my own counseling. Don't identify with the, the, the pain and the, the misjudgment that you've made with yourself, you gotta get your mind right. You have to set your thoughts right on, on what God says about you, not about what you feel, not your emotion, not your experience, not what your daddy might've told you, what your old boyfriend might've told you, your, your girlfriend or your ex-wife. Come on, none of those things. What God says is what you base your identity on, on nothing else. And that little boy's mind, that misjudgment was formed in his life and it sparked evil that rooted so deeply in his soul, in his spirit. He got healed and he got set free. You know, you could hold on to resentment and if you hold on to resentment, it'll destroy you. One of the ways you get healed from misjudgment is by forgiving the person that judged you. One of the ways you get healed from misjudgment is by letting that person go. Unforgiveness and bitterness is basically saying, you know, you're going to wait till, till they get theirs. They're going to get theirs, man. Well, you've got to understand that Jesus died for that thing too. That's how you forgive them. Somebody had to die for what they did to you. You're darn right they did. And his name is Jesus. He did die. Now, whether they realize it or not, you have to realize it and you appropriate that grace. You don't receive the grace of God in vain. You take the blood, you take his death and you apply it. You apply it to that horrible thing that your father, your brother, your uncle, your aunt, your sister did, your ex-husband. You apply it, that horrible, heinous crime that took your innocence or stole from you. And you have to forgive them. And in doing that, you'll break a misjudgment. And then you've got to come to understand who you are. God, listen, God forgives us not because we ask. Please hear me. God forgives us not because we ask him to. He forgives us based on justice. Our justice system comes from God's word here in America. It's not stinking Sharia law. It's based on the Ten Commandments. 
It's based on what's right and what's wrong. It's based on God's word. It's not based on reason. You start making laws based on reason and you'll have a lot of problems. God forgives us based on justice. You deserved death. So did I. Death sentence was served on his only son. And you too can receive the free gift of forgiveness by receiving his payment. Death on a cross for his son. You become identified with his death. That's why the apostle Paul said in Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. That's why the apostle Paul could say, receive us. We've done nothing wrong. What do you mean you did nothing wrong? You were there when Stephen was, had his skull caved in by a bunch of stones, giving consent to all of, the, all of the Christian killers. You yourself took them with letters from the chief priest. What do you mean you've done something wrong? He understood that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteousness. He understood Romans, and it says that we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I'm not a, I'm not a, a sinner anymore. I've been redeemed by the blood. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. If any man's in Christ, the oldest God and the new has, has come. When you receive Jesus, you're born again. He puts a new nature on the... Ah, if I could run around the parking lot right now, I would. <laughs> Hallelujah. My God. Change the way you think about yourself. Grasshopper. You know, I love how these ten tribes come. And they communicate before they killed everybody. I just like that. Before we kill you, let's talk. <laughs> Listen, you know, it's a beautiful thing because what happens is, how many of you know the enemy would have loved for them to slaughter them? That was the plan. But by communicating, the misjudgment was dropped. Oh, Oh, snap, that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. So you're not going to break the law. You just wanted to make a replica as a memorial. We did a memorial when we, when we crossed over the Jordan. Yeah, it's still there as a matter of fact. Right there. Right there where we put those rocks from the, from the Jordan and made a pillar. And then we took rocks from the the wilderness, we, we made a pillar in the middle of the Jordan. You remember that? Man, that was a time. The Jordan parted, rolled all the way back to Adam and was cut off to the Dead Sea. Wow. 
I remember that. So that's all you're doing? You're making a more? Yeah. Because we don't ever want to be accused that we aligned ourselves with the government before the Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? It's exactly what I meant. Did you hear that? Let me say it another way. I just, it's a state. Listen, I understand this. That when I preach to you, and I'm not going to go much longer. In fact, worship team, would you come? I understand when I preach and when I'm, forget about preaching, your life, your, the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you speak is a testimony before God and his angels and before Satan and his demons. So I just wanted it to be noted that we have every right to meet and gather and they say that we can't be over 10 people, and I know it's well-meaning, but behind that is a demon spirit and a coming one-world government that wants you to take a mark or you won't be able to buy or sell. And I'm telling you, I will never do it. I will never yield to that thing. Say, Pastor, that's a little intense. Well, these are intense times. See, maybe that's a little overborn. Maybe. Talk to the Lord. I felt like he told me to do it. I see it in scripture. So I'm making a memorial. We obey God first and foremost. We'll do with respect. We'll be good neighbors. We're not going to, come on. We're going to allow for the, you know, suggest, we're going to suggest that you wear a mask. Many of you got the email. I'm suggesting you wear that. But I'm not sending a mask Nazi to come to see if you have one. Do you understand? I don't know what a mask Nazi is, but the mask police. You got to deal with misjudgments by the devil. You got to deal with misjudgments about yourself. What's interesting to me is this final verse. They named the altar witness. Now get a hold of this. Whole worship team, please. Get a hold of this. Some of you, how many of you like the old spirituals? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan. What did I see? How many of you know that one? It's a favorite one of mine. I looked over Jordan. I looked over what? Jordan. In this Old Testament passage, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the half-tribe half of Joseph, stayed on this side of the, the wilderness side of the Jordan. That's a picture of being still in this world. Crossing over. I looked over Jordan. Crossing over Jordan is crossing to heaven. Do you understand? The promised land is a picture of heaven. We are on this side of heaven, but understand these lips of clay this afternoon. Heaven doesn't start when you die. 
Heaven starts the moment you give your life to Christ and receive his propitiation, receive his blood, receive his payment for your sin. That's when heaven starts. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is upon us. On this side of the Jordan, before we cross over and enter into the great cloud of witnesses and enter into our reward, on this side, the Lord wants us to be a witness. He wants us to be a testimony. And I know opening on Wednesday, and I would have done it today, but we couldn't put it together. I got the word Friday. I just want to do everything the second he tells me to do it. But he said, it's all right, relax. Wednesday's good. Understand that it's a testimony that we are not afraid that we will obey God above all else. A witness. A testimony. Be a testimony to your family. You mean call them all and tell them they're going to hell without Jesus? Well, you could do that, and that is true. But he who is wise wins souls. There's a wisdom that unlocks hearts. And I love the script method. I use it myself. But there's nothing like relational evangelism when they can look and see the altar of God on your heart. To look to see that you have covenant with him. That you don't talk like the world talks. Act like the world acts. You know, does what the world does. That you're a testimony. That you've passed from death to life. That you're not of this world. That you're a pilgrim. You're a foreigner. That you're passing through. That your life, that you know... That your life is a vapor. You're not going to yield to fear. And you won't shrink back and forsake the gathering of the saints as some in their custom of doing. Woo! You're a testimony to your family. You're supposed to be a testimony to others. And then lastly, we're a testimony to spiritual forces of darkness. Nice bald eagle flying overhead. I'm taking it as a sign. My God. That was awesome. Come on, somebody give him praise. stand up and resist you. So understand my defiance in opening Wednesday ahead of the open. And I hope it opens on the, you know, the following weekend. It is not to defy the God. It's not the purpose of defying the government. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because the Lord told me to do it. And I'm doing it because it's a testimony. It's a statement that I will not yield to an antichrist spirit that shuts down the church. Which is, to me, this coronavirus thing is from the pit. Do you know there's churches that are closed? They got for sale signs on because they can't make their building payment anymore. You know how horrible that is? A church with 30 people. Now people aren't going and, and they don't know what to do. 
And maybe they didn't teach them about tithing. Those are all the birds returning from down south. There's a fresh revival coming. There's a revival coming. A Joel 2 outpouring. It's even here. Oh, come on, lift your hands. Romans 5 and 9. And then we're going to sing that song and we'll be done for today. Since we have now been justified by his blood. We have been justified. I am justified just as if I never sinned. That's how you think about justified. I am justified by his blood. I am the redeemed of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I quoted it and lost my mind saying it. I might do it again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Galatians 2 and 20, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I that live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am the redeemed. I am washed. I am cleansed. I'm a new creation. Romans 6 and 4. Oh, listen to this. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Come on, you're identified with Christ. Your sins are forgiven if you've received him. You've been washed by the blood. You've been cleansed. He's taken out the heart of stone. He's put in a heart of flesh. You're made new. Come on, I'm the redeemed. I'm an ambassador. I'm a co-laborer. I'm a friend of God. Deal with those misjudgments in your own head. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of us is a part of it. You know, it matters. You'll notice that you'll notice that they said, by you doing this thing, we're all in trouble. Did you know that every single one of you, please hear me. I didn't say this in the first service. I know I've preached long. It's a very important service. Every one of you is important. And if you live beneath your God-given, blood-bought identity, it affects the entire church. And I don't mean our church. I mean the body of Christ. And I mean in America. If people are going to be limp-wristed and smooth-kneed and apathetic and non-discerning and live a defiled life while at the same time saying they love God, that brings a defilement even to Christianity. But there's another type. There's another breed. There's, there's another people. There's a remnant that's rising. The people that live holy and not beneath our God-given blood-bought right. Not beneath our dominion over sickness and disease. I'm identified with Christ. Who are you identified with? This is a new guy. You wouldn't have liked the old guy. He's dead. 
1 Peter 4 talks about gifts and how we work together. Jeremiah 29 says God's got a plan. Deuteronomy 28 says we have the blessing of God. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says I am more than a conqueror. There's no insignificant people, and this is the time that you were born. Stand up and be a witness. Stand up and testify that you serve him before anybody else, and let it be for the future generations that you will forever be accounted with the people of God. You'll be forever accounted with Israel. We stand with Israel. We stand with God's word, God's people, first and foremost testify to your family, testify to others why you're on this side of the Jordan. This brief moment called life. I'm going to sing this new song, but before we do it, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God, give your life to him today. Those online on all platforms, those on 1610 AM, those here in the parking lot, those that will listen at a future date. If you're not right with God, I plead with you. I implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled. He calls you by name right now. Yield to him. Give your life to Christ. Repent of your sin. You say, that's me. Then pray this prayer right out loud. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. I pray, Holy Spirit, touch, fill, break every bondage, break every curse. Baptize them with your Holy Spirit even now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.